Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. As we learned a couple of weeks ago, there is only one thing more confusing than cryptocurrency, and that is Bonnie and Tony's oral report on cryptocurrency. <laughs> but that gets resolved on tonight's show as we welcome back our friend Jill Schlesinger to decrypt it all for us. And you can take that to the bank, I think. Also, we begin our quest to become the fastest podcast alive over 100 meters, and we try to select a new bookie, bookie book for our bookie, bookie book club. <laughs> yes, when it comes to confusion, cryptocurrency ain't got nothing on us. I'm Adam Felber. This show's cold, hard cash, patiently backing up our words with reliably sourced conversational integrity. And now, please welcome the woman whose own currency, pound bucks, is clearly just hastily appropriated hotel soap. <laughs> it's Paula Poundstone. Yay. I'm just about to sneeze. All right. Um, yeah. I'm no, going to time opening my soda with, with your sneeze. Oh, my gosh. No. Okay. Well, I, okay, I think it's passed. Um, hey, you guys. How are you? It's so nice to be with you. Oh, there you go. Uh, that's good. I don't mind that sound on the track. It sounds like we're having a, you know, having a party. Um, it does feel like a party. How you doing, Paula? Oh, it's so nice to be with everybody. And thank you to tonight's house band on piano, Jeffrey Hoffman. Yeah. Thank you, Jeffrey. Sounding great. All right, so I, I'm so glad, Adam, that you mentioned in your opening about our race. I challenged my coworkers to a race, and uh, a foot race, and we talked about it. I said, let's do a 50-yard dash, but not together. We would just each time ourselves separately and then compare. Well, Adam immediately said, well, it should be 100 meters because that's how that's what they do in the Olympics. And I said, well, OK, all right, fine, 100 meters. And then so I said to Wendell, how much is 100 meters in feet? And he said, well, why do you want to know that? I said, because we're going to run a race. It's going to be a 100-meter race. And he said, well, how come you don't just do a 50-yard dash? I, I <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It just, that's just what we're doing. So I got Wendell to loan me his big tape measure. He told me it was 50 feet. The tape measure, the big tape measure was 50 feet. You went ahead and ran your 100 meters already. 
I did. I ran. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I did it yesterday because I thought we were all going to do it yesterday. So All right. So I got my daughter to come help me. We went to the dog park. Uh, Wendell kept saying, well, why don't you go to a football field? You go to a football field, right? Okay. Because I don't play for the Rams. That's the first reason. <laughs> okay. And you just go to school and play with the football field. Well, I believe the kids are using the football field at the school. The idea that there'd be this older woman running on the side <laughs> of the football field with a tape measure. I think would bother the children. So what you did is you took a tape measure that measures things in feet and inches. Yes. And took it to a dog park. Yes. To try to measure out 100 meters. Yeah. Which, by the way, 100 meters is about a thousand dogs. Uh, so, <laughs> and we also brought our stupid flat things. So we did a lot of like asking the internet. The Googles, yeah. You know, yeah, we did, we did our conversion through the internet. Well, he had told me it was 50 feet, the tape measure. So my daughter, Allie, held, you know, one end and I walked with the other end and I'm, you know, pulling it back and pulling it back. And we're thinking that we, because it's going to be 50 feet, we're thinking yeah. that we have to do this approximately six times. Um, and so I'm pulling it back and I'm pulling it back. And fuck, this seemed long to me. And I'm like, shit, I don't think I can run this distance six times this. Um, and then finally, I happened to look down at the tape measure and we were at 87 feet. So oh. that was quite a relief. It was a hundred foot tape. And then uh, I wish I could remember the name of the character. She said that I ran like I know that it was from Horton. Here's a who. Uh, <laughs> my dog Sirius ran beside me. It was very kind. It looked like the opening of like an old Disney movie or something. He's older. And even he was like, all right, I'll slow it down for you. <laughs> I'm not a fast runner. I never was a fast runner, though, so I can't say that it's aging that's doing it to me. The funniest thing was after we got like 300 feet and maybe it was like 28 inches or something, and then there was some last small fraction of that that we needed to convert. And when I yelled down to her what it was that needed to put through the, through the computer, the answer was like one and a half inches uh, so like I, so I, I had a board at the end, so I moved the board an inch and a half because that could make all <laughs> the difference. I got to say, I, we're all still going to run that, right, guys? Yeah, I'm ready. And we got to do it soon, uh, relatively soon. We're, we're looking at each other on Zoom, and I did not see Bonnie Burns nod her head enthusiastically. <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie's just had a pen in her mouth half this time. Yeah. Are you, are you not no. planning on doing your run? I'm planning on figuring it out. <laughs> you cannot get a direct answer from Bonnie Burns. Like, never. This is like an interview with a supercharged athlete. So what are you going to do out there today? I'm planning on figuring it out. Um, after I finished my run and I was uh, sucking wind, Allie says to me, she goes, are you going to do it again? I said, never in my life. The reason that we're all got, we all got to do it soon is next week we have a guest that you managed to get for us, Paula, coming on our show to um, give us some tips on running a great 100 meters. And who is that guest, Paula? That guest is the great Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis, ladies and gentlemen. He was the fastest man in the world at one point. He won 10 world championship medals, nine Olympic medals. He excelled at the long jump. The 100 meters, the 200 meters, just a, a, a legend. The uh, 
1988 Summer Olympics was a big one for him. He won the gold medal in 9.79 seconds, and that was a new world record set at the Olympics. That was pretty exciting stuff. And now he's a coach in Houston. I th- is it University of Texas in Houston? Uh, I, w- I would guess so, yeah. <laughs> University of Houston. You know, the biography that I'm writing about him is not very detailed. Well, we'll have all his credits ready to list when he gets here next week. And he is going to coach us about how to get better at our 100 meters. So we all need to measure our 100 meters things before and after. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe that mine could get any better than it was. Whew. I was like the wind. you never seen anything like it in your life. What was your time, Paula? I'm not telling you. Was it 9.79 seconds? Close. <laughs> <laughs> Times what? Times what? Um, yeah. uh, Julie Berkovian, our new producer. What did you want to say? In 1991, 30 years old, ancient for a sprinter, set the world record in the 100 meters. Oh, but you know what they said to him after he did the 100 meters? They said, well, why didn't you just do a 50-yard dash? <laughs> <laughs> Was Wendell there with him? Yeah, I don't know. Why did you do that? I have an idea for you guys. I think we should each video ourselves doing this. Absolutely. Oh, uh, no. Okay, well, no, wait. Okay, no. Okay, okay. Not that I'm doing it, but what about the measuring? Just the measuring part. Oh, that's that's cute. Well, I've already done my run, and I don't think I could duplicate the beauty of what I did. Well, you could do it next time we do it, but that way we also know... Did we get it correct or not? I'm not going to Zabruder tape you guys measuring it to make sure that you got it on the up and up. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys do it at the dog park where I did it, you start (laughs) at the last trash can near the fence and go until the dog poop. (laughs) Wait, I'm missing something. If you were at the dog park... How did you measure it out? You do something on the ground. Oh, I see. You put like a garbage can or something at one spot and then something else at the other. No, I just made a I just made a heel mark in the dirt at each hundred feet. That sounds like such a rinky dink method. It really does. I didn't want to say that. It works just fine. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing is on this particular dog park. There is a paved sort of walkway. And so I started on the paved walkway, but it curves around. And so we had to come off in order to continue. So you ran it on different surfaces, but you did run straight. Yes. Now, tell me something. Did you time it with an hourglass or a sundial? (laughs) Or did you just have Allie count one, one thousand, two, one thousand? I counted while I went. Okay. (laughs) That works. works. Yeah. Yeah. So I went like this. I went, I went one, two. (laughs) Three. Well, Well, over this next week, I wish all of us the best of luck beating Paula's completely made up time. It's not a completely made up time. I have a couple of dogs that will vouch for me. Adam! Adam! Yeah, what? Answer the phone! Really? Yeah, Adam, answer the phone! Paul, I am fundamentally unprepared to answer the phone. Um, Um, Answer the phone, Adam! Answer the phone! Uh, okay, um, hello? Hello, Adam! (laughs) It's me, Um, Nan Mumford. How are you? 
I'm I'm good, Nan. It's it, it's it's nice to hear from you again. Well, Adam, I do like to call during mud season. It's a difficult time for many of us as we sometimes lose family, loved ones, and belongings in the mud until summer. Well, that that's that's terrible, Nan. Can be. Lost a gnat <laughs> once. <laughs> Truth be told, I never cared for her that much. She could be off-putting. How do I put it? Uh, I was in no rush for summer that year. We call it the year Betsy went down. You should have heard the suction sound. That's not why I'm calling, though. Why are you calling, then? <laughs> Wanted to say a word for Stephen King. We're, we're, okay. qu- we're quite proud of him down Maine. If he got stuck in the mud, the whole town would throw in the best furniture so he'd have a place to sit. Of course, I know him quite well. He comes by the farm stand every summer. He'll say, do you have blueberries? And I say, yep. Okay. So we've grown close over time. Happens that way around here. Uh, Nan? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Did you want to say anything else? No. (laughs) Okay, uh, well, it was nice talking to you. Um, goodbye, Nan. (laughs) Nice talking to you, Adam. Nan? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say goodbye yet. Oh, okay, but I I did. Uh, So, uh, well, bye. I didn't want to be rude. Nan, are you going (laughs) to say goodbye? Of course. Bye, Adam. Bye, Nan. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that, that Nan Mumford, I tell you, Paula. She's a social butterfly. Up, up there in Maine. Kind of operates at her own pace, doesn't she? Yeah, got to love it. <laughs> hey, uh, Paula, while we all stretch and warm up, and look at Bonnie. She's got her leg way over her head. That's amazing. Oh, stretching my gosh, Bonnie. she's amazing. Um, I'm very yeah. flexible. Remember number 37 in Beekram's class? They could touch their forehead to their toes. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the same year that Carl Lewis won the gold. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> I can touch my forehead to my shoe. But if your shoe's on, can you also do it? No. No, no. But I can (laughs) touch my forehead to my shoe. Very impressive. Hey, Paula, do you have a vocabulary word this week? Adam, I have a vocabulary word. What is it? It's truculent. It's an adjective that means quick to argue or fight. I'm going to use it in a sentence. Like people who need a nap. Dogs who encounter one another on leashes, they tend to be more truculent. Wow. Let's find a home for truculent with its hard-to-remember word friends in the vocabulary song. Oh, yes, yes. The 
this week's word is truculent. It's an adjective that means quick to argue or fight. Why do you always have to be right? Last week's word was gymcrack. It's an adjective that means showy but flimsy or poorly made. It broke in the box before I had paid. The week before that, the word was vicissitude. It's a noun that means a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant, like when rich people run out of glass to put over their pheasant. Going back before that, the word was abstemious. It's an adjective that means deliberately limiting one's consumption of food or alcohol. I'll leave the rest of the fun size three musketeers at the end of the hall. <laughs> and let's never forget Gallimaufry, <laughs> which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge? Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Oh my gosh. You can see, Adam, that I've committed the whole song to memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not quite sure that this, this song functions as the memory song that you intended it to. I, I just cannot remember goddamn anything. I, there's a guest that I've been working on trying to get to come on our podcast. And um, yesterday, his assistant called me. And before I called her back, I thought, you know what? I'm going to Google some information. And when I went to Google the information, I'm like, I cannot remember the name of the guy. <laughs> and wait until you find out who the guy is. It's a very, very, very famous person. And I just couldn't. <laughs> is it's it awful. on the order of like Barack Obama famous? Not, not, that, not that famous, but similar realm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. It was Lyndon B. Johnson. Well, you, you're not going to get him on the show, Paula. You might Why? have forgotten the fact that he died years ago. Ah, oh, shit. Then I said the entirely wrong thing to his assistant. <laughs> then probably you did. Oh, I feel awful. Um, I don't want to impugn your memory any further, Paula, but were you intending to do a little challenge to Tony at this juncture in the show? Tony Anita Hall, <laughs> currently ranked second in book club censures, if you can... Without Googling, identify the words that might be spoken by someone who is insouciant, which is one of our former vocabulary words. We will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Community Book Center at 2523 Bayou Road in New Orleans, Louisiana. However, and I would rather moisturize Chuck Grassley than even think about it. <laughs> If you cannot, without Googling, identify the words that might be spoken by someone who is insouciant, which is one of our former vocabulary words, we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Community Book Center at 2523 Bayou Road in New Orleans, Louisiana. Tony Anita Hall, are you ready? Yes. If, in the midst of a hurricane, someone says, A... You go down into the storm shelter. I'll check on the neighbors and gather some supplies. B. Oh, my hair. I'll never get it up that high again. It took hours. C. We're all gonna die. D. 
It's that bitch Hillary Clinton's fault. Lock her up. Lock her up. <laughs> or E, it's all good. The speaker of which phrase could be described as insouciant? Um, I have two in mind. I'm going to go with the last one. Well, insouciant is an adjective that means unconcerned, free from care or worry. So, of course, the answer is E. It's all good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yay. Congratulations, Tony Anita Hall. You have earned literally dollars worth of advertising for Community Book Center at 2523 Bayou Road in New Orleans. We recommend if you're in the New Orleans area that you stop by Community Book Center at 2523 Bayou Road in New Orleans, Louisiana, and pick up some banned books. <laughs> Tony, that's fantastic. I don't well know done, how you Tony. do it. Yay, Tony. Yeah, Tony. I suspect she's finding a way to Google. I... <laughs> That's <laughs> how so she does it. She cheats. Yeah. yeah. I, you know what? She's not going to be able to Google her way out of this race. That's right. <laughs> Coming up, Vladimir Lenin said, the best way to destroy the capitalist system is to debauch the currency. But maybe he was just resentful because of the crushing failure of Vlad Bucks. We dig into crypto with a real expert when we come back. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. 
That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux, and I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured, like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed they're so co- it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're <laughs> European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kind of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. 
I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing. They cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Fidel Sassoon said, or you can wear a hat. <laughs> That's funny. All right, we're back. Thank you, house band Jeffrey Hoffman. Yay! Follow Poundstone. Yeah. You look like you have something to say to me. I do. Adam, <laughs> as you know, I've been worm farming for, for about a year. Well, it's really worm ranching. It, it's hard to make a profit because the saddles are very expensive. But people email me at Paula at PaulaPoundstone.com and I sell them worm waste for their plants. It's getting into planting season now, though, and I'm expecting a windfall of cash. I'm going to need to invest it. Absolutely. Now, a few months back, we had Bonnie Burns and Tony Anita Hull explain cryptocurrency to us. And like some bizarre, accursed trick of mental alchemy, I know less about cryptocurrency <laughs> now than I did before they explained it. I need someone to explain it to me, Adam. Someone with real solid knowledge and practiced communication skills. Someone who isn't reckless with pronouns. Someone who really has a command of the subject matter. It's not going to happen, though. Well, shockingly enough, today... You are, in fact, that kind of lucky, Paula Poundstone. Now, if no. you remember, yes, if you remember, we had Tony and Bonnie do their oral report on cryptocurrency on the spur of the moment because we had lost this next guest of ours. No. Yes, yes, you don't recall? It's true. Although um, Tony and Bonnie, they proved to be very good with Google. It sure made things cloudy. Today, we have that expert with us. Joining us now, money expert and business analyst for CBS News, our returning champion, Jill Schlesinger. Yay! Yay! Uh, hey, Jill. Hi. I hate to be called a crypto expert and Bitcoin bimbo or whatever, because I feel like <laughs> this is so confusing and everybody should know that I'm not an expert, but I think I can explain it in a way that you... Paula, Adam, everybody listening can maybe just feel a tiny bit, at least less embarrassed that you don't look at people like they have three heads. Isn't part of what makes it, it successful, if it is indeed successful, the fact that no one understands it? You know what? You, you have a good point. You, whenever I see like big manias in life, 
you know, and I've lived through a lot of big, huge market manias, it's usually like there's this person sitting in the corner and that person's usually me saying, I don't get this, but like, I guess everyone else is smarter than I am. And I just kind of like, well, yeah, shrug my shoulders and I say, "Mm, you know, whatever. I'm I guess I won't get rich this time. I don't know. And, um, it it is very confusing, mostly because it's technology and, I'm a bit of a Luddite myself, so I get that this is super confusing. First of all, I want to just say that if you really need a great primer about this, um, there are lots of different you know, YouTube videos and podcasts and all this stuff. I'm going to try to make this understandable so that you never actually want to go to the next level on this because you say oh, that that's about awesome. enough. This is the Schlesinger <laughs> approach that I will disgust you to the point where you say, oh, forget it. Also, I just want to say one thing that I did look this up for you guys. In the first time that I actually covered Bitcoin, it was um, in 2013. And in 2013, I went on the air on CBS to talk about how it had just gone above a thousand and how it was crazy and I didn't really understand it. And now it's whatever, 45,000. So again, I just want to say I've missed out on the boom, even though I was covering it. So if you feel like you missed out on a boom, it's like saying like, you know, I covered the internet in the 90s. I don't know. I I didn't think it was going to stick around too much. So uh, I didn't buy anything. So, yeah. uh, Okay. So just to be clear, we're going to say Bitcoin. We're going to throw that off to the side. We're going to just say crypto because uh, Bitcoin is just one of the flavors. There's something called Ethereum. There's Bitcoin. There's Dogecoin. So you guys are familiar with uh, a Google document, right, where you can all share things and you can sort of make um, updates in real time, right? Yeah. Yes. So- If you think about some of the weird parts of the financial system, one thing that's sort of strange is that like you can have a transaction. It takes a while for it to be verified on the other end. For example, you ever notice like you put money into a bank account or an investment account and it's like three days later, it finally shows up. And that's because the institution that receives the money goes to the other institution and says, did you really send that money from Jill Schlesinger's account and bring it over here to this other Jill Schlesinger account. And they say, yeah, we did that. And you get that confirmation. So the technology behind all this crap is essentially a faster shared environment where transactions can be accounted for almost in real time. That's all I want you to think about for the moment, which is just, it's like sharing data in real time. It's like an old fashioned library card in the back of a book where you see everybody who's <laughs> taken the book out before you. It says that it's just that it's like appearing in real time. So you see all of these transactions are really visible to everyone participating in the transaction. It's like the Stanley Cup. <laughs> That's right. What's your team? Tell me right now, the Stanley Cup. That's all I knew was the Stanley oh, Cup. okay, because I was about to say I'm an Islander fan and it's rough. Me too. Oh. I grew up right near NASA Coliseum. Adam, I love you even more. Okay, so think about that. Shared information, shared a view into seeing transactions. That's really what I want you to think about more than anything else. That is really kind of like the backbone of what we're talking about. That seems sort of easy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next level. Ready? 
Yeah. Uh-oh. Take a deep breath. <laughs> when you think about the financial system, because now I'm going to get into the Bitcoin and these coin parts of it, and you think about technology, it's weird because it, we can move money from one institution to another institution, right? And I can even say like, you know what, Paula, I need to Venmo you money. You picked up dinner and I send you money. Now that appears to be an electronic transfer, but it really isn't, is it? There's something in between. There has to be some institution in between because, you know, if you use Venmo and you use PayPal, there, it either hits your credit card, your debit card, or your bank account, right? Those, so there's something, there's an intermediary, something in between the two of us making a transaction. When you say right after you say that, I'm yeah. still nodding my head, but I'm thinking in my head. <laughs> okay, just let me slow down. I didn't know that, but I believe you. That, okay. So I, yeah, okay. So, so if you think about it, if you look at PayPal... Yeah. And you look at Venmo, or even if you use one of those, um, the banking system, Zelle, there's some institution. Zelle? Zelle is part of like the Bank of America. It's how That's you a- can send money from one institution to another. I use Zelle. That's a terrible name for it. Do you remember in Marathon Man when the old lady, what was the name of the bad guy? His name was Zelle, but what was the actor? Lawrence Olivier? Adam's right. It was Lawrence Olivier. And... Uh, there's a scene where he's walking down the street and an old lady recognizes him from, like, you know, Germany. Right. Uh, you know, from uh, the Holocaust. And she's like, Zell, Zell. Now she's I know a- why I hate that. That's yeah. so good. It's mm-hmm. a terrible name. Zell. Adam and I are going to start the Jewish boycott of uh, Absolutely. Zell. Okay. Okay. They, okay. Now so that we've now taken that Lawrence Olivier with a German accent detour. Let us go. Let's go back. So there is a weird thing that we just cannot do with the internet prior to this period of time, which is you couldn't just pay someone directly in cash, right? Like, in other words, if we're at dinner and you picked up the check, you say, ah, let me put on my credit card. And I say, ah, good. Here's 50 bucks. I would hand you cash, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. There is a, a transfer of something of value. And I, okay. But there's really no way to do that electronically. I and wouldn't have taken it anyways, Jill. I know. It's You're my pleasure. A, oh, thank oh, you so much. Uh, no, I'm happy not, to do it. I, really I still have to pay though, that. right, Paula? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the other part of this process of having this shared documentation of a financial transaction right? This Remember our Google Doc? Is yes. that I can say to you, I can send something to you directly without a bank in between us. I can, I, and I don't have to have something in between to collect a fee, to get into my business. I just hand you cash, right? But how, how are you doing that through the, through the internet? So um, the way that that has been created is this thing called a... Um, let's call it a cryptocurrency. So this thing called Bitcoin, let me go back in time a tiny bit, which is go back to say 2008. What was happening was there was the horrible financial crisis. And there was this feeling of distrust among huge financial institutions, well earned since they almost put the entire financial system over a cliff. Yeah. So there were some software developers who said, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to have a financial institution mucking up our system? That was the thought. Mm -hmm. And 
wouldn't it be great if we didn't have these big central banks, the United States Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the Bank of China? Like, let's get rid of those guys and let's create our own currency that is not backed by the full faith of a country, but is backed by our agreement that it has some value. Uh-huh. Seems like La La Land, doesn't it? Yeah. It does a bit. A little, I mean, it is a little bit because, you know, when you think about it, guys, any currency is a little bit of la-la land. In other words, what we decide a dollar has value because we've all decided a dollar has value. It's, you know, the pulp of the paper is what it's worth. But we've decided that it represents some value. Ooh, we're going uh-huh, super right. existential here, right? Yeah, right. yeah. And so these software developers, by the way, I don't know, it's either one or many, but the alias of the developers or developer is, it just sounds like a movie t- uh, movie character, Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> oh, wow. Satoshi Nakamoto, Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like we could do something with that, right? Yeah. yeah I think the, anyway. the first Die Hard movie takes place in his tower, I think. <laughs> exactly. So the idea was... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a currency that has a limited amount. There's going to be some limited amount of this currency, 21 million of these things. Let's forget about the name for a second. And Mm -hmm. the way you can get that currency is you have to solve a hard mathematical problem. Okay? And when you solve that mathematical problem, you are awarded a coin, Just think of it as just like a a badge. Like if you're playing a video game and you knock something out and you earn like a point or a game, you do something, you earn something. So the interesting thing about this, sort of the early part of this was not only is there going to be some scarcity, we're only going to have 21 million of these things called Bitcoin. And not only are you going to have to solve a problem to get it, but we're going to be able to see who owns it and you're going to be able to own it directly and transfer it to one another because we're going to share this big spreadsheet that shows who's earned this Bitcoin, where is it held, and who's exchanging it to whom. So everyone is a Stanley Cup. Every exactly. Do- every Garden is another. So like Paula, it, it, you're handing her a bunch of giant Stanley Cups at dinner. And, and and writing her name on it, exa- and right, and your name is on it that went to me, but it's not really your name. So there's another part of this that's really interesting because early on there really was no regulation of this at all. So there were people who were using this system as the cash system used to exist. Like we grew up in a time where, you know, you laundered money by opening a. Dry cleaning business. It's an all-cash business. And guess what? The uh, big mobsters used to take a legitimate business and launder money through it. You know, think about um, uh, Breaking Bad. Like, there's a car wash. There's all these kinds of things. Okay. So (laughs) these were one of the early problems with these coins that were getting minted. People were solving problems and they had these Bitcoins and uh, they were being used for criminal enterprises. There's no doubt that is what happened early on, okay? What does solving the problem have to do with it? Why do you have to solve a problem to get it? It's so elitist. I'm not sure it was just like a fun, weird, it seems like also like a weird techie bro thing to me. Oh, okay, all right. um, I, I mean, and it's, 
you used to be able to solve the problem with any computer. Now you need to invest in a huge number of computers that solve these problems really quickly. They're oh, called Bitcoin farms that where they're terrible for the environment and you have high processing power and they are solving these problems and earning the Bitcoin. And there are only going to be 21 million Bitcoin that are actually available. But what I really want you guys to understand is that there is something that shifted in, say, the last couple of years around this, because it was before pandemic times. The people I knew who were talking about cryptocurrency were these wacky tech bros and bro. I don't know. What's the girl? What's a girl bro? A bra? I can't say that. That sounds terrible. Alas. Alassie. Um, (laughs) The problem with those people is they can be so freaking annoying and they talk over all of us and we have no idea what they're talking about. And so we feel like morons and you're like, but I don't get it. What's it, what are you doing? What's it for? What is it? And, and all of a sudden it was like, you, you started to hear more normal people start to say, ah, I threw some money into this Bitcoin thing. And so, but they so, didn't solve the problem. How did they invest in it if they didn't solve the problem? The people who solve the problem can sell their coins in a marketplace. Oh, I see. Think of it as the Bitcoin bazaar. So you and I could go there and just buy it. And if you solve the problem, you solve the problem. It didn't cost you any money to get it. And if someone's willing to pay you a thousand dollars, you're like, oh, cool. That's great. Yeah. And it was really like the only way to get out of it because it wasn't like you could spend Bitcoin unless someone else had a Bitcoin account. And so few people had Bitcoin accounts. It wasn't like I could say to you, let me send you some Bitcoin in 2015, Paula, because neither of us would have it. Mm -hmm. Now, what has happened is if you think about the currency and the systems that are in place, now Bitcoin has also started to become an acceptable way through the payment system for a lot of companies. So as soon as you had big banks say, oh, we'll accept your Bitcoin in an account, or if you had MasterCard saying, we'll allow you to send Bitcoin through our system, it's sort of like legitimized this Mm -hmm. idea of having a digital asset. So, um, you know, like the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, I have a quote for you, which they, this is how they say it. I think it's actually for a regulator actually sounds pretty easy. Conceptually, a digital asset could be understood as anything that can be stored and transmitted electronically. Okay. So I can send you something electronically and Mm -hmm. has some associated ownership or use rights. So if you think about it, like music has rights that are associated with it, whether, you know, we could download it, we can borrow it, but there are rights that are associated with that electronic transfer. And what the CFTC essentially said was these things, these, these coins, these crypto assets, they have to actually be treated like anything else that has value or ownership rights. And the only difference that these things provide that didn't exist before is that they're faster, they may be more efficient because we're all looking at the spreadsheet, and there is some certainty about who owns what. So are you saying I could pay you with a song? Yeah, you kind of could, but we'll get to that NFT, girl. Okay. 
<laughs> Sophocles said, money is the worst currency that ever grew among mankind. This sacks cities. This drives men from their homes. To which his companion replied, you're damn right. You're going to pay your rent or what? More with Jill Schlesinger when we come back. The cat of the week is matcha from Bakersfield, California. Hey, guess what? I'm back out performing in theaters, which is good because cats don't laugh. And the city workers digging up the pipes in the alley for the last month were not enjoying my work. You, sir, with the shovel and the reflecty vest, uh, what do you do for a living? Ma'am, you want to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, how does that title look on a business card? Ma'am, do you want to get the fuck out of here? What skills are required for that job? So, it'll be good to be back with you in a theater. I have missed you so much. If you'll come vaxxed or tested and masked, we'll be able to revel in a night of healing laughter again and again and again, and I won't get hit with a shovel. For tickets, go to paulapoundstone.com and click tour. back with Jill Schlesinger. And one thing I want to ask about Jill is that, you know, very recently there's been a story about how a whole bunch of crypto was stolen. And isn't kind of the point of crypto is that it's got that big Stanley Cup paper trail? Wait a uh, minute, uh, Adam. How is it possible to, yes. Adam, you said when Bonnie and Tony explained it, you specifically said it couldn't be stolen. What I, the hell is going on here? Exactly. Jill, what the hell is going on here? Um, so that's a great question. I mean, like anything else, a lot of these platforms that are holding assets can be hacked. The thing that's really hard to understand about these is not so much that like they're not that different than anything else. As I keep like going through this in my head and, and kind of, you know, being lectured to by tech billionaires who tell me I'm just, you know, honestly such a moron that I can't possibly understand this, which I, I may be, I may be that moron. But the thing that's really interesting to me is that it's still kind of hard to say to somebody, I'm going to store this thing of electronic value on this platform. Now, I mean, we do that all the time, right? I mean, I store, like I have a bank and I have their platform and I trust them, but I don't know what Coinbase's whole um, back office looks like. And, and, and if someone steals something from me or, or goes into Mount Gox, which was a very famous exchange for Bitcoin and blows the whole thing up, people lose money all the time. And there's no recourse with that because they're not regulated. So the reality is that one of the features that all these early adopters are like, there's no banks, there's no central banks, there's no regulation is a huge bug because they can be hacked. The other thing that's really interesting is that when you're hacked, you've got no recourse. Mm -hmm. And early on, there were 
a lot of people who not only did, was it like a hack, but like they had to have these long passwords. People forgot their passwords. The passwords were stored on their computer. They don't know where that money is. Like I'm a huge fan of Kara Swisher who does the New York Times podcast at Sway and she does another podcast called Pivot. She talks about how she's like, I'm pretty sure I Bitcoin on some hard drive in my life and it was pro- it's probably now worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I have no idea what that hard drive is. <laughs> <laughs> so is that is that Bitcoin just gone then? I mean, one of the 20 million is just no longer there? I guess it's there, but it's not claimed. You know what I mean? Like it's there because so it's, it's like a lottery ticket. Kind of like someone won the lottery, but no one claimed it. So we, yeah. it's weird. So the other thing about this is that as much as there is this real desire to have decentralized finance... That's terrible in a lot of ways because you have no recourse and a lot of this is the Wild West. Plus, there's knock-on industries that will be destroyed, like the velvet rope people. (laughs) And surely that's a a family business, the velvet rope people. And so there's going to be some... This generation of kids born into the velvet rope manufacturing families, what are they going to do? Nothing. You know, movie theaters aren't... There's only so many premieres, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now a lot of people just line up without them. So now think about this for a second. You want to electronically move something of value between people. That's one thing. Yeah. But then there's this whole other part of this, which is the investment part of it. Okay. So there's this type of investment that is predicated on something that's really cool underneath it, some technology or some change or something amazing that is just, you know, sort of captures imagination of people. And it goes up very quickly. And then everyone sort of jumps in after to try to get a piece of that action. And so these digital assets, whether it is, uh, you know, um, Bitcoin or Dogecoin or Ethereum, you know, when you hear like super smart people like Elon Musk saying like, well, Tesla bought a a billion and a half dollars worth of Bitcoin. It's like they had a bunch of cash. Well, let's just buy some Bitcoin. And then he goes on and starts like talking it up. And then all of a sudden we have Super Bowl ads where you have the People like Larry David um, say, you know, sort of like becoming himself and seeing like, you know, don't be an an old school curmudgeon who doesn't believe in anything. And this thing is going to be something. And people start buying this crap that they don't understand. It becomes an asset class as an investment class. And people just get on this mania because it's total FOMO. Like it really is fear of missing out. And so that is another aspect of this which I think is really important to underscore. It's like Mark Cuban said this um, like the beginning of last year. He's like, well, if you're brave enough to jump into crypto, which I have been, you know, because I'm so brave and I'm rich, pretend you've lost your money. In other words, like if you're going to do this, pretend it's just something wacky and outside of like the purview of anything normal and you want to like play with it, fine. But it's not going to be necessarily something that you are going to be able to sort of uh, count on and it has no history and it could go to zero as e- as easily as it could go from 1,000 to 60,000 to 45,000. It could go back to 2,000. I don't know. It's very much like podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing, though. At least we have, we deliver something of value. It's like those cards. What? Are, what? Remember the cards? What were they with Pikachu and Pokemon? Yes, yes, yes. There is like a craze. Of like yes, it, right. It's like any sort of weird mania or craze. And when I was watching the Super Bowl, it was really funny because I was watching the ads and I did think about Super Bowl 2000, which was when you had like every internet company. Remember, this was like, I'll never forget this because I was a money manager at the time and all my clients are like, you suck, I'm firing you because you haven't made 80% in NASDAQ stocks. I lost a whole bunch of clients at the end of 1999. I'll never forget it. I was like crestfallen. And I kept thinking to myself, well, I got a little bit of this technology stuff, but I don't know. It's like, how could like pets.com or something.com, they're not making any money. They're losing money all the time. Why? We're, everyone's investing in it. And because everyone's investing in it, everyone else wants to invest in it. And it, it does feel like at some point you think I must be a moron. I am not doing this. And I remember the Super Bowl had a zillion different ads for different companies. And my favorite, of course, being Pets.com, which I think eight months later was zero, was bankrupt. So they were able to pay, you know, millions of dollars for a Super Bowl 30-second spot and then were broke eight months later. What else is happening is all these big financial service companies like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan Chase, who all said, oh, my God, this crypto thing is baloney and uh, we don't think you should do it. They've all gotten on board because all their clients wanted it. So now they just have to give their clients a way to buy this crap. So now it is pretty easy um, that, you know, you can buy into this thing, this digital ledger. You know, you can do stuff like that. And, you know, the next iteration of that is, are you ready to get your mind blown? Yep. Can I say fungible on your show? It's okay with me. Let's call it the F word. What, <laughs> so what is a fungible? It's something that can be easily exchanged or traded for something else of the same value or type. It sounds like an, a Nerf product. Exactly. So I can trade a stock or a bond or a currency. In other words, I can give you a dollar bill and you can give me a dollar bill back and the value is the same. It doesn't have to be the exact same dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, mm-hmm. it's so fungible is just like a dollar bill is a dollar bill is a dollar bill. So what's non-fungible? Well, maybe it's a piece of original artwork or Mm -hmm. maybe it's an antique car. That has its own unique value, right? So if we think about it, what's your favorite? Give me a favorite artist of yours, Paula. Who do you love? All right. Just for the sake of argument, I'll say Renoir. Okay. So you are a, a fan of Renoir and you say, I would like to own an original authenticated Renoir, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to go to some auction and there's someone who's there who says, I'm going to authenticate it. Like, yes, that's a real Renoir. Or what else could you do? You could just buy a nice poster. You could be like, well, you know what? I went to the Jeu de Pomme in Paris. It was great. I bought the poster. It's fantastic. So you could get a knockoff of something. It's not the original, right? So let's say that you want to understand a non-fungible token. What does that okay. mean? Non-fungible, we now know. It's like this unique object, right? There's only one. There's only one. And the token is this electronic part of it. It is like the certificate of authenticity. So let's say that you wanted to get the original Beatles White Album. You wanted to own that original recording. And it is stored electronically somewhere, the master. You could have a token 
that authenticates that, and that would be something of value. And the only thing this is interesting for in life, in our lives today, is that because a lot of, of our artwork and creativity is occurring digitally, this is a way to authenticate that you've got the real deal. And because there's so much dumb money floating around, people are willing to actually pay for this thing. That's one thing that, that does confuse me a lot because a, a digital artwork is made up of ones and zeros. You can have a million exact copies. So it, what, what are you paying for when you're paying for the token? This is the part I don't really get it. Because, I mean, I, I agree, because what is the difference between owning the master of the, of the music, even, right? Or I can download for 99 cents, whatever it is, $1.99, the, the copy. So that's the part, that one thing that I don't understand, although artists and musicians are saying to me, like, I'm an idiot, I don't understand this, because what they say is, well, we do create things electronically, and we do want to know that we want to receive royalties if something happens in the future. We do want to sell anything. That part, I got to say, I'm not such a, I don't get that part. Like, I get that people want to own something specifically, and you know, I guess that someone could take the transcript of this podcast, you know, and, and do their own version of it. And we could be like, oh, you owe us money. It's a royalty. Or we could be like, good luck. No, they would owe us money. They would definitely owe us money. <laughs> totally owe us money. No You're question about, about that. It out there. Yeah. Rat yeah if, you, if you guys are into that Paula and Adam cosplay out there, yeah, you know, you're going to be paying for it. Don't yeah. even think about doing it without paying us. All right. Let me ask you, Paula. You write a joke. Yeah. People steal jokes all the time, right? Bastards. Friggering bastards. They do. And by the way, they shouldn't. Okay, but would it be cool if you could somehow have a digital ownership of, like, you write the joke, you say the joke, and you make an NFT of that, and anytime anyone uses that joke, you get paid a royalty. That would be kind of cool, I guess. I just don't know how we monitor it. Yeah. Yeah, because the Poundstone Thieves are sneaky, too. Yeah, yeah, they, they yeah. love her stuff. Yeah. I remember years ago um somebody used my joke in a in a commercial. I did look into how one would get recompense. Um I think eventually we sent them like a cease and desist or something. Right. But but that's but not good enough. You podcast people, you people <laughs> that are gonna use our transcript, um I'm not sending you a cease and desist. You're just fucking sending me money. Make that that's clear, right. Jill. Make right. All right. Clear. Send her Bitcoin to her Coinbase account and it's oh, a series geez. of numbers. You know, it's weird. Like, I don't want to be a curmudgeon about this. I really don't. I, I would love to be the person who's like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm on board. And it's just that it's, the more that I think about the crypto world, I don't own any, number one. I do want to understand it because I don't want to be this person who says like, and, eh, you know, this Internet's going away. But. It is hard for me to get behind this thing that it seems to be solving a problem that's just not a big problem for me. That That's what I would say. Like, I'm happy with the banking system. It works for me. I don't know. Like, it seems okay. There's um, a guy named Dan Olson who's got this huge YouTube video following and a video called Line Goes Up. He was on the Ezra Klein podcast and the most thorough case against crypto I've heard. And um, so this guy, Dan Olson, is really interesting. 
And I think they, they go a little bit deep because, you know, Ezra's all about like, let me go deep and much smarter than I am. But it's worth listening to if you do want to go to the next place, which is to really get your arms around some of this. I still have this problem in the big picture of like, I like when problems are being solved, right? So I get it, like the internet convenience and shared and this and that, but it's not a problem that cash is still available. And we know that cash is often used for like crappy things and being nefarious and all that kind of stuff. And so maybe that's not like best use case. And I don't know if there's like digital art needs NFTs or not. So I'm trying to be open-minded. I would say that if you just want to play, just like you would roll the dice and go to the casino, and I do maybe the only time I can get aboard some gamification of this, like you want to just be a part of it and you want to buy some Bitcoin or you just want to throw some money in there and see what happens, okay. But just presume whatever you put in there could go to zero. And I'm not sure it will. I'm not sure it won't. But I just want everyone to be at least clear that you could lose it all and it may be a great thing, but I don't know which way it's going to go. And I may say that it's probably, it probably is an equal potential for either outcome. I think people would be better off playing like Monopoly. Yeah. You, you know, by the way, it's also like Beanie Babies, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that we just give it value because we say, okay, that's yeah. the value that it has. Exactly. I mean, it is really bad for the environment. Um, the mining of crypto is really bad for the environment. Some of the newer forms have been less bad. Um, there are knockoffs. There are massive number of scams associated around Bitcoin. Um, there was oh, there'd whole- have to be, right? Yeah. Did you guys get into, what was that crazy um, show on Netflix where they were like killing each other? What was that called? Oh, the uh, oh, oh, those games, yeah. Squid Game. Yeah. Squid, yeah. Ga- yeah. Squid no. Game. Okay. I never saw that. No. So I, I don't like violence, but evidently there was um, a huge um, crypto scam where, I mean, it's sort of brilliant, and they, they talk about this in the uh, in the Ezra Klein show where it's like the perfect scam. It's like people are so into, like, this is part of the social fabric. Everyone's talking about this thing called Squid Game, and they're like, oh, you, you want to buy the Squid Game coin, and they get a bunch of people to invest in it, and no one reads the fine print. And it's basically like you threw your money down the drain and the whole thing like disappeared after three days. I mean, it literally disappeared after three days. Like, where's my money? I don't know. I guess it's in the the, the fraudster's pockets. So wow. you just be careful. Yeah. We're, we're going to be careful. And also, we're going to try to be smart. Um. <laughs> Wendell, make another investment in crypto for me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Here, Sell the, the crypto. okay jill that was excellent now we're going to take all this new knowledge that's swirling around our heads and we're going to run that information through the old pounce paula how's ben jeffrey hoffman on the piano thank you so much your music is like a soundtrack adding to the emotional tension of the show it's fantastic now speaking of emotional tension if you could give me a little more I'll tell you what the old Pounce-donator spit out. Jill Schlesinger, as per your request, I I will not call you an expert on cryptocurrency, but you sound like an expert on cryptocurrency. You've taught us a lot about cryptocurrency and other forms of payment. Thank you so much for being here. This has really opened up all sorts of possibilities for me. Dear landlord, I see you've increased the rent again. Not to worry. The fact that I've been out of work for the better part of two years will fortunately not be an impediment to my being able to pay you. 
because I am a stand-up comic. For this month's rent, I'm giving you part ownership of this. I'm alone a lot, partly because others seem to want it that way, and partly because I travel for my job. So I eat at restaurants alone. They kind of rub it in when I wait to be seated, when they say, party of one? I usually whip out a birthday hat, slip the elastic under my chin, and blow this thing. <laughs> and I say, yeah, that's right. I wasn't even invited to this party. I'm just crashing it. I'll write your name here below this and take a picture of it with my phone, and that should cover next month as well. <laughs> Here's next April's rent. Is the bunny in the Bible? I don't remember that. That's what I get for skimming. I'll put your name right under the word skimming. It's been a historic year in so many ways. In fact, we've actually had a woman president. When Joe Biden got his colonoscopy, he was put under, so Kamala Harris was sworn in as president for those hours. The Washington Post claims she had a do-nothing president. Did, did Trump ever have a colonoscopy? No, I don't think he did. He didn't need one. They just asked Pence what he saw when he was up there. <laughs> that should cover me through November. Okay. <laughs> Author, podcast host, all-around genius and money expert and Islander fan, Jill Schlesinger, everybody. Yay! Thanks, Jill. Oh, Thank my gosh, you. Jill. This has been so helpful. I am so delighted to be with you every time. And um, and it, whenever it's a confusing, wacky story, you can count on me to, number one, book it and then cancel it, but also come back. Oh, man. Every you know time. What? We will value that every time. We got two <laughs> episodes of. It's fantastic. And if I do make any money in crypto, I'm going to give you a percentage. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, we'll just go out to dinner. How about that? We'll call it. We'll leave it at that. That sounds good. Coming up, our book club is awesome, and at the moment, it lacks only one thing, a book. You help <laughs> us with that when we come back. The biggest pizza ever created was 13,580 square feet, made in Rome, Italy in 2012. Its creator said, quote, I'm just grateful that I finally figured out a use for this giant oven. <laughs> Wonder whether I should have done that with an Italian accent. I'm just grateful that I finally figured out a use for this giant oven. Nah. No, I think the first way is better. I think that's yeah, takes, takes, takes away from the joke. My Italian accent's too good. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Adamonio? Um. No, 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 Paula. I'm not really Italian. No. No, oh, I just do this a great accent. Oh, my heavens. Oh, it's really a, good. It's, it's really an good. al dente Italian accent, huh? Yeah. It's, uh, it's like you're off the boat, for God's sake. Yeah, it's like right off the boat. I'm like Mario from <laughs> that Japanese video game. <laughs> yeah. Just about that authentic. Uh, Thank you, Jeffrey Hoffman. Very nice ivory tickling there. And we appreciate your presence. <laughs> you know, Paula, there's a big moment happening right now. And you know what that is? No. The revealing of the... Winner of the Dave Grohl pillow that Bonnie doesn't want contest. 
So to, to recap, Bonnie has developed what some might call a fetish for noted drummer, guitarist, oh musician Dave Grohl. She read his book. She loves the guy. Uh, she might love Nirvana and Foo Fighters. I don't know. We don't ask her uh, because she might answer. But she did buy her. She did buy herself a throw pillow with Dave Grohl's face on it. Found it creepy and offered it up to a random nobody to win. And when I say random nobody, I mean a nobody who stood up online and spoke up and said, I would like that Dave Grohl pillow, if, as long as you're not using it, Bonnie. And now I'm proud to say that that drawing has been made by our producer, Julie Burkobian, and she is going to reveal, Julie, who has won Bonnie's cast-off Dave Grohl pillow. <laughs> the winner is... Dave Grohl! <laughs> <laughs> nobody Stephen Huff. Stephen Huff. Stephen Huff, I bet he's so happy. Stephen oh, Huff, congratulations. Gosh. You will soon be receiving your Dave Grohl pillow. Um, uh, Bonnie, am I correct that you're raffling off your um couch next week? <laughs> My couch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Hey, Paula Poundstone, you know what our listeners love more than anything? They love our Bookie Bookie Book Club. Literally dozens of them have let us know how much they love our book club. And wow. And as yet, if there's been any complaints, we haven't been told about them. No, um, they love the book club. They love the bookie bookie book club. They love the book and club. And we have and asked them to help us choose. We still haven't settled on the book that we're going to read, but we've asked them for their opinions. Yes, and they have emailed and gone to our Facebook page and given us a bunch of opinions. And Julie Burkobian tallied up some of the most popular uh, suggestions for books. Hundreds of you had suggestions, and here are some of the top ones that people have suggested, and, and we're going to discuss those. And I think Paula has a suggestion of her own. I um, do. And Bonnie does. Uh, so, for instance, Fahrenheit 451 was a very popular uh, suggestion, and it's, a, it's, you know, it's certainly a great book and a relevant book right now. Is Fahrenheit 451 short stories, or um, that's the illustrated man? That's the Illustrated Man. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 is the novel by Ray Bradbury. It's about a future society where books are outlawed and people travel. These firemen travel uh, from house to house to burn any books that are found. Oh, my God. That's like just watching a night of Fox News. That's not really. <laughs> well, it, is, it is relevant I never right knew now. that's what it was about. All these really? years. Yeah. All these years I thought it was about baking muffins. <laughs> well, why would you? Why would you bake a muffin at precisely 451 degrees? You know what? The thing about good baking is that precision is the most important thing. <laughs> when you cook, you can kind of do your own thing here and there. But with baking, you really have to hew to the recipe. Recipe, yeah. yeah. You got that right in entirely. 451, though, it happens to be the precise temperature at which paper burns. Oh, yeah, but I'm talking about making um, a kind of muffins. It's called burned muffins. <laughs> There's nothing about... <laughs> nothing about this has anything to do with muffins. Yeah, well, that's a surprise to me. Uh, that's a big surprise <laughs> to me. I am not against reading Fahrenheit uh, 451. Wait a minute. You know what? Before we go any further, I looked up book clubs, and they're probably going to contact us, this this site that posted this, because we yeah. have a lot of insight about book clubs. But I okay. just thought this was sort of interesting. The Number one, getting started. Ask each person to say their name and give their initial brief thoughts about the book. Have we ever done that? We have not. <laughs> 
<laughs> this will help break the ice and give everyone a chance to participate in the initial discussion. It never occurred to me to give everyone a chance to participate in the initial discussion. <laughs> Every time Tony tried to say anything, we just said, shut up, Tony, shut up, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I feel like we could have been nicer to Tony during Number two. Number two, guidelines for participants. And by the way, listen up, participants. After asking each member of the group for their name and initial thoughts, follow with discussion questions, then author biographical information. Okay, I don't care about that part. B, okay. this is important. This is important. <laughs> B, B, interruptions. There will always be someone who breaks in while another person is speaking, Bonnie. Most interruptions <laughs> are due to enthusiasm or being hard of hearing rather than rudeness. Control the interruptions by saying, hold that thought, Cheryl, and we'll want to hear it again once Angie has finished. So well, We don't have a Cheryl or an Angie, so that advice is no good. We don't know that because we didn't ask everyone for their name before we oh. asked them to begin. Uh, right. Monopolizing conversation, Tony. Uh, cut in... <laughs> Cut in on long-winded group members with, that's an interesting point you just made. Did anyone else get the same impression or a different one? Or, you've made some interesting points, Terry. Let's hear from another reader. Chris, what do you think? <laughs> oh, my. So, I know I tend to monopolize conversations, but if you guys ever try that phrase on me, I I'm going to know where it came from. So, don't, oh, yeah. don't think you're so cool. Here's one keeping the group on topic. Try not to let attendees wander off topic and bring them back if they do. <laughs> I, I feel like we've solved many of these problems by following Robert's rules of order in, in the strict fashion that we do What with the gavel. It doesn't say anything about Robert's rules of order in that, in that helpful guide? It doesn't, but I can certainly remember a time when Bonnie kept bringing up Moby Dick's true self and fake self <laughs> and we had to say bonnie get get back on the get back on the road for Christ's sakes uh listen <laughs> carefully to what is said by participants rephrase a participant's comments or ask a question to be sure you and the others understood what was meant bonnie did i get that right that you wanted to know what uh moby dick's real self and fake self was i I think a lot of things like writing are about the evolution of a character. Like when you go to a movie, that's, that's what interests me the most. That's an interesting point you just made. Did anyone else get the same impression? Or a different one? Um, Terry, you, thank you. Uh, let's hear from another reader. Chris, what did you think? That's really a helpful Allow everyone a chance to contribute to the discussion. Jesus Engage Christ. silent attendees by posing open-ended questions directly, but don't badger the participants who really don't <laughs> want to participate. Try asking them, what did you like or dislike about the book? Come on, what did you like or dislike? Come on. Don't, Tony, here's a little piece of bread. <laughs> Do you see the little piece of bread? 
<laughs> Adam, do you have the eyedropper? Let's feed her from the eyedropper. <laughs> Let's feed her from the eyedropper. I've got a little bit of sugar water here. Here you go, Tony. Oh. Tell us what you think of the book. Would you look at her go after that sugar water? It's your job to make sure everyone has the opportunity to to respectfully, and I fucking mean you, Bonnie, share his or her opinion with the group. You do not have to agree or disagree with every statement made. Okay, but you know what? When she starts in with that bullshit about the real self and the fake self, yeah. I can't help but say whether I agree or disagree. Um, I don't think you're capable of abiding by that. I, I don't no, but there's a story arc. In most things, it shows the evolution of a person. I realize Bonnie, I'm repeating myself. No, not at but all. You're a not little prejudice all. against this. You've made an interesting point, Terry. <laughs> Let's hear <laughs> from another reader. Chris, what do you think? This is really very, very helpful. Um, the, uh, all right. So here's another book that one of our listeners mentioned, one called The Silent Patient. Yeah, that's by Alex Michaelides, 339 pages. It's about an English psychotherapist dealing with a patient who turns mute and murdering her husband. That sounds interesting. No, she turns mute after murdering after her, husband. her husband. Yeah, I read oh. that incorrectly. Thank you. That's not as interesting. Um, that's an, that's an, so you thought it was interesting if she was mute while murdering her husband, like right there in the therapist's office? Yeah, it's, like being yeah. mute might have motivated her. That was one of the things that motivated her. Why would to being mute the husband? Why would no, being mute because she might have had a lot a of, of feelings yeah. because she yeah. couldn't talk? Oh my God, your psychobabble is so much to cope with. <laughs> um, but you've made an excellent point, Terry. <laughs> let's let's um, hear from another reader. A bunch of readers also suggested Good Omens uh, by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, um, which I suggested way back in the day. I remember that. Yeah, it, it's 288 pages. It's a comedy about the birth of the Son of Satan and the coming end times. This brings up a philosophic question that I have, yeah. which is that... Yeah. Is a good and funny book a good choice for our book club? Because I feel like if we return that that's great and funny, all we're going to do is show up each week and go like, yep, that made me laugh. I agree. No. I mean, you know, we can't just sucker the listeners into reading bad books so that we can make jokes about it. It just doesn't seem <laughs> fair. <laughs> that is, of course, true. But I, I think we've given them culturally relevant content even when the books weren't necessarily good like eat pray love that wasn't a good book but it was a very big hit well and it showed tony's evolution yes it showed tony's evolution? <laughs> yes they did oh wow now bonnie's applying that psycho babble to a real life person tony had a character arc in our, in our reading of eat pray love which is that she learned and she grew so did lisa bright and dark but i don't think we need to focus on it um <laughs> Yeah, I think that it is possible to read a, a book that's good, that the listeners would enjoy reading. There'll still be censures, I'm sure. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> what that, about, well, that one's in the hopper. Okay. All right. What about Project Hail Mary? Which Oh, uh, by Andy Weir. Yeah. I thought that sounded interesting, but it's 496 pages long. It's set in the near future. It centers on a junior high school teacher turned astronaut, Ryland Grace, who wakes up from a coma afflicted with amnesia. There's a lot of themes, I think. There's a lot um, going on here. You, can, yeah. you just you can't cram a junior high middle school teacher who turns into an astronaut 
who wakes up from a coma, afflicted with amnesia, <laughs> into anything less than 496 pages. I don't, I don't know. I, I think you could probably do it in 495, right? Uh, yeah, well, he, he, he was a little lazy at some points of writing. Um, so, Bonnie, you won't read a book that's a lot of pages? That's how you decide? It's not that I won't read a book that's a lot of pages, but if we don't really like the book, then we're stuck with yeah. it for 500 pages. I agree. I agree. Listen to the two of you. How, wow. about, if we, <laughs> how about if we read Hop on Pop? Or, 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 uh, yeah. Harry the Dirty Dog. We should be able to I zip mean, through that if we don't like it. What's the rush, everybody? Really? <laughs> we're, we're on episode 197 tonight. We um, could do a kid's book. Those are short. Well, you know, it's interesting that you should say this because there are two young adult novels that I think might make great candidates here on this list from our listeners. There's The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins at 374 pages, and there's Twilight by Stephanie Meyer at 500 pages. Now, whether it's fighting for your life in a future dystopia or trying to choose between a sexy vampire and a sexy werewolf, I, I think the whole genre of young adult <laughs> smash hit novels is something we, we might want to think about. I feel sorry for young adults. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing something with vampires. No, because they get yeah, such shitty uh, literature thrown their way. You don't know that it's shitty. You haven't read it, Paula. Well, I saw the movies. Um, okay, maybe that's not, <laughs> maybe that's not fair. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, there's another one called Anxious People, but it's 352 pages, so Bonnie won't read it. Tony won't read it. <laughs> That's um, by Frederick Backman. It's an ingeniously constructed story about the enduring power of friendship, forgiveness, and hope. What kind the of shit is that? Even the most anxious. To, I don't know. That doesn't tell me nothing about the novel. Right. It's well. No. What do you mean you don't? It doesn't tell you anything. It's about the enduring power <laughs> of friendship, forgiveness, and hope. <laughs> but it's too many pages. Too many pages. You know what? We could read anxious people. We just won't read the last section about the hope. We'll just read about the friendship and forgiveness. Um, oh, somebody suggested Frankenstein, which is my all-time favorite story, by the way. A lot of people have um, have suggested Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. I love Frankenstein. Now, now, have you read it, or are you a fan of the movies? Or Frankenstein, I've read over and over again. But I listened to Dracula, and mm. I didn't care for Dracula at all. And it's sort of fascinating to me that people used to find it scary. It's so not scary. And it's it's so who gives a shit. Yeah, I think Dracula is not generally thought of as a great novel, unlike Frankenstein, which is thought of as just just fantastic. People who like Dracula tend to become phlebotomists. Um, <laughs> somebody suggested Catch Twenty Two. Well, that's a good book. That's no, it's too many book. catches. Bonnie and Tony won't read it. It's um, too many catches. Fifty-three pages. According to BookRiot.com, your book club. Tony, book are you be, googling while we're yes. trying to have a meeting? Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I've got half a mind to six. kick you off this podcast for the day. Tony. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm leaving. I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye. No, wait. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, oh, she's so sensitive. <laughs> wow. Oh, I can't. Wow. She did. Wow, she that's just, it for Tony. She just walked wow. off. Oh, Jesus. That, that was so abrupt. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know. It, could, it, can anybody look up cruises? Is there one leaving in about an hour? Because that's where she's headed off to. Um, no, she, we're kidding. No, she had to leave. And, and you know why she had to leave? Because if you didn't leave, 
We were going to fucking throw her out. <laughs> too many catches. Too many catches. Catch 22. They would read it if it was only 21 catches. Okay. And then the year of yes. We, I have to say this about the year of yes. I don't know Shonda Rhimes, but I almost vomited a little bit in my mouth when I read the description of the book. The book chronicles Shonda's life after her year of yes had begun, when Shonda forced herself out of the house and onto the stage, when she learned to explore, empower, applaud, and love her truest self. <laughs> the year of yes. Uh, I would never have a year of yes. I'd have a year of, yeah, you and what army? That's what I'd have a year of. I, I was wondering if you had any books that you were going to suggest. I, I did, Adam, actually. I did. And again, I looked this up on, like, good book club books to read. And uh, I only looked up book club. I didn't look up bookie, bookie, book, book club. Um, so <laughs> it might not be for us. But it's called The Second Life of Muriel West. It is historical fiction, which is a genre, by the way, that I'm... I, sometimes I feel like, well, why not just tell the real story then? Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what attracted me. It involves a leper colony. Oh, huh. that sounds good. The minute a leper colony comes up, I'm in. <laughs> well, I love those leper colonies, too. I mean, uh, you know, I think too often they become like mascots for cereals like Lucky Charms. But, you know. Uh, um... Oh, no, no, that's leprechaun. <laughs> oh, we're talking about leper. Oh. Like a disease yuck. that eats away at your limbs <laughs> yeah. and things. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. It's very, very different. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nobody would buy a breakfast cereal with one of them as a mascot. <laughs> oh, look what you have in the cereal. Little fingers of marshmallows. Is leprosy still a disease that, you, that one could still contract or did we get rid of it? I it think? exists, but it is very curable now. Oh, oh it is? Wow. I believe so. Okay. Huh. I like the idea of a leprosy colony because I don't think you can get leprosy and not have some kind of self-realization. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> so we're not doing that book. Yeah. Um, Fuck okay. that. Um, I have a suggestion. I just, wait, I want to say to Bonnie. Yes. You've made some very interesting points, Terry. <laughs> Let's hear from another reader. Chris, what do you think? <laughs> um, I want to suggest that we read... The Bible. Mm. The the Old Testament. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. I think it would be a lot of fun. I no. can hear the comments coming about oh my God. the mean the things we said about the Bible. People are sensitive about the Bible. Who's Not fucking the Old sensitive Testament? Nobody's about sensitive the about the Bible. That's Old Testament. ridiculous. The Jesus stuff people get real real uh, sensitive about. But if we read the Old Testament, that's just like Noah's Ark and Adam and Eve and Moses and Cain and Abel. Actually, and that could be fun. Abraham and Isaac. and I, That couldn't be remotely fun. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I guess we're not going to do that one. A lot of begatting. There's a lot of begatting in there. There's a lot of people in the biblical times just fucking going at it. Yeah, well, I just thought, you know, a book that is kind of the cornerstone of three major world religions and responsible for so much that's happened in our world might be worth reading for a book club. But you know what? Let's move on. Bonnie, did you have something? <laughs> well, leprosy. We want leprosy. 
I think we should go from this list. We'll just make a decision and we can move on and have another. We got a book club tonight. <laughs> Maybe we want to read a book about song composition. Uh, I mean, the truth is we can read one and then read another. I like Paula's idea. I, I wouldn't mind an historical fiction-y thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little, if I seem a little confused, um, it's because right before we, we I know, started, uh, but you recording, don't need to mention that now. I'm going to mention, no, I'm going to fucking mention no, it, buddy. No, this has worked. It's worked. That's why I threw it out. <laughs> I was letting you know that it worked. Right before we started recording, Bonnie spent the better part of an hour telling me that the one thing that we would not be doing today, <laughs> the one thing she did not want to do. No matter what. Was choose a book from that list. No matter what. And I kept saying, Bonnie, just be straight with me. If you if you are so dead set against what I am for, let me know and we'll just we'll 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 put off deciding on the book today. And what'd she say? She said, yes, yes, let's not decide I, today. Un, under any circumstances, no matter under what. Under any happens. circumstances. <laughs> I was trying to push her towards deciding today, and she said, ah, oh, the list is too narrow. I don't like the choices. We should expand the the the, the palette. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Bonnie. <laughs> right, but I think this has gone well. And so I kind of moved over to, hey, let's just pick one of these. And Adam, did you say to her, what if it goes well? And she said, no, I don't give a shit how it goes. We are not deciding. It was pretty much what happened in the conversation, Paula. That is pretty much exactly what happened. Oh, Julie, you God. were there. Am I describing what happened accurately? You are. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, who hired you for this job? <laughs> Julie, who pays you? I am so glad that I had to get off the phone, so I missed that whole conversation. Oh, she was vehement. We would not be deciding on a book today. All right, so what book are we going to read? <laughs> no, I think you guys have made good arguments for these books. I did think we should have a broader scope yeah. of what we chose from, but I'm okay with them. But we have to put it off for at least a week because Tony Anita Hull has will not get a vote if we decide oh. right now. <laughs> so, Bonnie, your suggestion could not have been better time. No, she can <laughs> no censure Tony Anita Hull, and we can just choose a book. Let's just let Tony know. We'll send it to her in the mail. With, I with could ask yeah. her while we're talking. With a cease and desist letter. Um, <laughs> all right. I, all right. Who, who wants to uh, choose a book then? I like one of the young adult books, Hunger Games or Twilight. I just think that's so different than what we did. And I would bet that a lot of our listeners have not read those either of those books. Well, that's a good point. I like Twilight. Okay. I, I would do Twilight. The uh, vampire thing is appealing. Did I just persuade you guys of something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was good. Um, Mark the date I, on the calendar. I think we put this one to bed. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Um, Julie Berkobian, have you read Twilight? I have. Oh I thought my so. God. You looked like you're probably you were in the demographic that was reading it like crazy when people were reading it like crazy, right? Yes. Well, I didn't read it when the first craze after the movie came out. I'm kind of a Robert Pattinson fan, so. I read the book after the movie, but then I read all the books. I'll read it again, though. It's been a while. Fantastic. So, uh, listeners out there, it has been decreed. The next book club bookie bookie book will be Twilight. All 500 pages of it by <laughs> Stephanie Meyer. And by the way, it was, oh, yeah, it's 500 pages, Bonnie. Um, doesn't matter. She's attracted to vampires. I think it's a quick read. It is. It was suggested by our listener, uh, Ethan 
Hockley. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, but weren't there other people? Yes. Was he the first one yes. that came in? Yeah, he was the first one, and he had the funny quote, but uh, several people piled onto his comment, and then also other people wrote in. Ethan Hockley established himself as a leader right off the bat. <laughs> What was the funny quote? He said, I think your most enjoyable book clubs happen when you hate the books. That's an interesting thing. I'm not guaranteeing you I'm going to hate this, Ethan. Oh, I, I'm going to hate it. I, I can guarantee you I'm going <laughs> to hate it. you are. <laughs> I think that it'll be fun to see what happens. I agree. I don't like that comment. I think it'll be fun to see what happens. <laughs> it's really not the first comment like that that you've ever said. It's interesting that this time you notice... I sound like a little doll. Bonnie's in her year of yes. All right, so Twilight it is, and... Uh, you guys. <laughs> yes? Uh-oh. Tony voted Hunger Games. I, I just wanted to Say get her voice out there. <laughs> okay. Okay, she's outvoted. Uh, yeah, but, you know, she kind of agrees with me for the area then. That's that's cool. Wow. So when will we start the book? Well, Adam. we want all our listeners to get out there and get yourselves a copy of Twilight or download it onto your reading device. And should we take a week off for people to get situated with it and remind them next week? Or should we just delve into those first five chapters? We could remind them next week and tell them maybe you want to do more than five chapters. Yeah, let's remind them next week and make Tony do crafts again or something. Um, hey, nobodies, if you've got questions or comments, drop us a line at nobodylistenstopaulapoundstone at gmail.com. And Paula, what is going on with your Poundstone product empire this week? First of all, Adam, I just want to reinforce that we are not going to choose a book today. <laughs> Adam, according to my new publicist, Cynthia Cryer of Cynthia Cryer Public Relations, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, is in the calm before the storm. Things should be picking up really soon. Cynthia has kept me so busy with press. She just got me an interview with Riser and Shine, the trade magazine for choral singers. It's not a cover story, but it will be in the me, 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 me section, and that's prestigious. So listeners are going to want to get Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone sweatshirts and Poundstone Pussy Pillow cat toys at the shop at paulapoundstone.com while they can. That's paulapoundstone.com. And speaking of listeners, sometimes at my live shows, I mention Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, our comedy podcast, and a handful of people in the crowd applaud. I want to thank those nobodies and remind them that they are somebodies to us. I hope to see them in Portland, Oregon on Saturday, April 23rd at Revolution Hall and in Denver, Colorado on Friday, April 29th at the Paramount. And in La Jolla, California on Saturday, May 21st at the Garfield Theater. You can go to my website at paulapoundstone.com for tickets. And I don't care what Heidi says, I'm going to tell you this one other thing. My album, Cats, Cops, and Stuff, is now streaming worldwide. Although why non-English speakers would want to hear me talk, I don't know. You can listen to Cats, Cops, and Stuff on Pandora, Apple, and Amazon. Puedo ir al servicio? See, there's more. There's much, much more. But Heidi's coming after me with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to remind our listeners that our sister podcast, Dad Bandland, is is going great guns That's over not there. That's our the sister. Oh, I just got the papers today. <laughs> um, so I want everybody to listen to what Bonnie Burns called the best podcast in the world, <laughs> bar none. 
wow. dad band land, an exploration of all the music you love from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band. And by the way, I am definitely going to have Bonnie as a guest on dad band land at some point. <laughs> she has on. so much to say about music. I do. I know she does. I do. She's a songwriter. All right. Remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. If there's a subject or topic you want to know more about, that email address is nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that is our show. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, hey, Adam wait, wait, L. Wait, Feldberg. Wait. You know what? what you're forgetting? Oh, you're totally right. Paula Poundstone. It is time for the weekly segment that we frequently forget. <laughs> but we are going to test your acclaimedly bad memory by testing you on the definition of this week's vocabulary word. Are you ready, Paula? I am, Adam. The word is truculent. What does truculent mean? If I get it right, I hear John Kennedy. Yes. And if I get it wrong... I hear the other John Kennedy. The other John Kennedy, yes. And yet, I cannot remember for the life of me what truculent means. I don't mean any disrespect. I, I don't know whether to call you professor or comrade. <laughs> oh. oh, Paula, you did that to all of us. That Try is, to pay more attention next week. That is punishing. Just, uh, to, to remind you, truculent is an adjective that means quick to argue or fight. It is not. Yes, it is. <laughs> you said so yourself. <laughs> uh, All right, uh, everybody. That, then, is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone. And yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Jill Schlesinger. Yay! Wow, she was fantastic. Thanks to our house band, Jeffrey Hoffman. Radiating the 88s. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Julie Berkobian. Edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? I mean, I mean she could not have been more direct about not wanting to choose the book today. We are not <laughs> choosing the book. It was I an hour. Little, I feel a little dizzy. I'm like, it was so much back and forth. Julie doesn't get an opinion. She's new. <laughs> She's too new to have an opinion. I had I to mean, live like, through I, it, though. <laughs> a half an hour yeah, of my life wasted. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I had some work that I had to get done, and so I had to get off the phone. But I yeah. am so glad I had that work to get done because I, yeah, it was so. And then, and did she explain why she didn't want to choose? At such length that I thought we would run into the start of this show. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you know, ironically, it's the fastest yeah. we ever we ever chose. Yeah. Right. Because as a good producer, I saw the opening based on what happened to get in there and solve this thing, which you guys aren't giving me credit for. I'm giving you. No, I'm. <laughs> you don't get credit for that. You don't fucking get credit. Okay, I'm taking yeah. that part out. Yeah. Um. No. Cheryl. Wait. Hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Hold, that thought, Cheryl. Hold that thought, Cheryl. 
will want to hear it again once Angie has finished. <laughs> <laughs> a podcast network.